Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm Justin Gordon, your host, and in this episode, we have Vanessa Dew, who is a co-founder and chief sales officer of HealthAid Kombucha, a company that is absolutely crushing it. And last year, they did around $100 million in retail sales. They've raised millions of dollars of venture capital. And in this episode, we talk about their journey and how Vanessa and her co-founder started the company and grew it into the behemoth it is today. The show notes for this episode are at justgogrind.com slash podcast. You can support the show by leaving a rating and review over an Apple podcast, helps more people find the show. And my weekly newsletter, The Weekly Grind, which comes out every single Friday, which includes tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business, can be found at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. Without further ado, here is Vanessa Du, one of the co-founders of Health Aid Kombucha. Vanessa, welcome to the show. Hey, Justin. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and after hearing you in class, definitely wanted to have you on to ask some more questions. Uh, but for those who don't know who you are or what the, your company is about, can you tell us how Health Aid Kombucha got started? What's the initial start of the company? Yeah, so I'm co-founder CSO, and how we built Health Aid Kombucha. Me and my best friend and her husband, it all goes back to about almost eight years ago now when we were completely unfulfilled with our jobs at the time and we were searching for a way for us to make impact, bring purpose to ourselves, find a fulfilling career basically. And that's when we decided to start an entrepreneur club. And it was in that entrepreneur club where we tested different business ideas, the feasibility of going forward with it. And ultimately, we came upon kombucha, not actually starting with the beverage in mind. But interestingly enough, we had anecdotally heard that kombucha was good for hair loss, not to drink, but utilizing that SCOBY, that culture that you use to brew kombucha, as a hair loss product. Uh, the male of our trio was... Um, very upset because his hairdresser said he would be balding. He would be bald by 30, but we were <laughs> to find a cure, goddammit. So yes. <laughs> we through uh, brewing kombucha and attempting to create a hair loss cure with the SCOBY. Le- needless to say, we did not find that product. But what we did have was amazing kombucha, and we decided to start selling it in the farmer's market back in March 2012. And that's when we sold our first bottle. Awesome. And there's a lot to unpack there and we're going to get through a lot of it. But at first I want to go back to is even the entrepreneur club, what did that consist of and what were you doing each week with that? Yeah. So when we were at the entrepreneur club, it was first an excuse to be friends and you know share a great meal and just brainstorm over a nice glass of wine. And really we were brainstorming different problems that existed in the marketplace and society. And it was more so, okay, if that's the problem, what's the solution? And so every week we went back to the drawing board to understand the feasibility of that solution that we were ultimately trying to create. And some projects, you know, it ranged from like iPhone thermometers to um, parking spot finder apps. And ultimately we found all no-goes with those projects until we came upon hair loss. And for that too, like what were some of the reasons why you decided not to go with other things? Because especially early on, people trying to start a company and have all these different ideas, knowing what not to pursue sometimes can be very helpful. Like how did you decide not to pursue the other ones versus the hair loss one? 
Yeah, so I, I did take a class when I was in USC um, Marshall School. It was called feasibility. And so it's a really methodical way to kind of understand, is this go and test and iterate and get proof of concept or is this no go? And a couple of those reasons for any of those ideas range from, is this from a dollar perspective way more than what we can invest ourselves? Um, is the competitive market just too saturated and we just didn't have a differentiated product? Or was it just too outside of the scope of our core competency? And might I add, you know, creating an iPhone app, let's just say none of us were computer engineers. So stuff like that. Right. And then going from there, so obviously you accidentally start <laughs> health aid essentially through the, the balding product. Going into that first farmer's market, selling all 60, 60 bottles, I think it was, you mentioned earlier. But how did you end up doing that at this place? Like how, was, how did the selling go for you at that first event? Yeah. So at the heart of it, we wanted to educate. And I think the first thing is we want to see what message landed with our consumer. And so we wanted to educate that people were what kombucha was, right? So at the heart of it, kombucha is a fermented tea rich in probiotics and healthy acids. So we were just eager beavers to be able to talk about what health, what kombucha was and then how healthy was differentiated. So that being brewed in all glass, super small batches, two and a half gallons to be exact, using fresh pressed juice that we you know, juiced in our kitchen. So we were able to really differentiate and educate. And I think that was the cool part is to really have a dialogue with consumers at that first market. Yeah. And knowing that your product, obviously the highest of quality early on, like how did you make sure you're making the highest quality kombucha and getting better at the process as you went? I'm just curious on how that kind of went for you. Yeah. So we knew we always wanted to create a super high quality product, no matter what it was. And when we started iterating kombucha and really started brewing to go into the market and then, you know, in 2012, really scale into more farmers markets, we had to make sure we just honed in on quality, period. And that was, you know, maintaining the small batch, the all glass production, and making sure we you know, sourced from the, you know, the producers, the farmers that we really trusted. And we still carry those tenants with us today. Yeah, and it's crazy to be able to do that at such a large scale now with how, how much it has grown. And early on there, though, too, like what helped you grow from that first farmer's market to then, obviously, m way more stores and getting in a much bigger distribution? Like what were some of the early factors that you think helped you help you grow? Well, some of the learnings and where, we, where our sweet spot is, is we are go-getters, and so we were eager to get after it. We were just eager to have a business. And that first bottle that we sold in the first farmer's market, it was like sugar to us. It was our high. And we kept on wanting to feed that. And so that was, you know, our own, I think, personal drive. And with that, we were able to really grow quickly. I think 2013 was a pivotal year because though we didn't know classical distribution or CPG, necessarily, we understood we wanted to grow beyond the market. 
So we were able to kind of go beyond the market and sell direct to wholesale accounts around LA. We became our own delivery drivers. And that really gave us the scale within LA in about 200, 250 accounts in 2013, where we started to create this buzz around not just kombucha, but health aid, where it really garnered the attention of larger grocery stores. Yeah, and one thing is too. Obviously, there's a there's a we involved, so it's clearly not just you. You're two business partners as well. What was the either the partnership agreement or what was set up early on to know everyone's roles, responsibilities? I'm just curious about that too. Yeah, so when we started, we basically all did everything. Uh, we all did the brewing, we all did the deliveries, we all did everything for the most part. It's how you know, really I think a startup is, but naturally, yeah. I think the way that we're all built. We know what our strengths are. We know where each of us naturally land. You know, Dinah and I are eternal optimists. Justin is the most pragmatic, but he is so real and he keeps us straight as an arrow. And we're so thankful for that. So I think it just naturally um, divided in that way where you know I became in charge of sales and distribution. Justin gravitated towards operations and Dinah is marketing and then now our CEO. So early on, we had an agreement where, and we never wanted our personal relationship, might I add, we're best friends and they're married. We always wanted to keep business, business as much as possible and our personal relationships intact. So early on, it was, okay, here's kind of where the boundaries are. Let's stick to it. We all agree to it. Um, and, and that's where it landed. Yeah. And then as you grew as well, how did the growing the team go for you? And in terms of those first key hires, how did you approach that process? Obviously, as you grow, you need more people on board, but those are, those are critical. So how did you bring on more people as the company grew? So I think our initial first hires, it was very much um, who fits with the brand. And that was subjective to us, right? So who is passionate about health and wellness? Who really can tell the right story? Who's a hustler, right? And so yeah. in those early days, that's what we really sought is that type of characteristic. But as we grew and as we scaled, the biggest learning for me is bringing those people in that not only resonate with the values that we set with our company, but also people who have subject matter expertise in what we're hiring for, whether it be operations to marketing to sales or finance. I think that was the biggest learning is domain expertise and also a culture fit. Yeah. And to that point, you mentioned kind of the brand early on as well. How did you decide on that? That is a brand wanting to go the premium route, the high end, obviously selling for more than other brands were. How was that decision made? Was it always what you wanted to do? I'm curious about that. Yeah. So in the early days, we had no data, as you can imagine. A lot of our decisions <laughs> yeah. were made on what you know what we felt was right or what our gut was telling us. Um, ultimately, it was following our gut to you know ultimately starting the business, and that is what fed a lot of the decisions early on. Uh, we knew we wanted to be premium in the category um, by nature of the ingredients we put in there, how we made it. And we still command a premium position today. Yeah. And then with that premium brand as well, like how has that been a benefit to you as you've gone about growing health aid over the years? Yeah, I think um, in three three ways. One, you know, the nature of our bottle when you hold it, if you have a certain feel factor there. I think people feel the premium. The holding it is 
you know, could be viewed as like maybe a badge of honor, that something of value. I think there is a buzz factor around that type of around that type of product packaging. And then, you know, second, from the retailer point of view, you know, premium does drive growth, not just in kombucha, but across various categories. It's proven. And so I think there's definitely a, a contribution story for the store in this case. And then, you know, when you think about the consumer, I think it really signals that we're putting our money where our mouth is, that we know how high quality we are. We know what we do in production and, you know, they're essentially investing and trusting in us to deliver on that. And I think that's why they keep on coming back. Yeah. And obviously, yeah, like I said, they keep coming back and the company has grown, grown because of that. And the brand has continued to, to grow and grow and grow over the years. And, and one of the things we talked, uh, we briefly touched on was distribution. So how, how have you gone about approaching the distribution as as you've grown? Because obviously you've gotten to different stores. Is it more you outreaching to other companies, them reaching out to you? How has that gone for you? Yeah. So knowing that we were you know, marketing a brand of kombucha, it wasn't necessarily you know let's scale everywhere you know right away. We knew that we really had to take a strategic scaled approach. Um, one in geography, just from a pure operational standpoint, and then two also where we felt like our consumer was at that time. So we really you know, laid in our roots and our foundations in you know, the natural channel and you know, let's say the whole foods consumer, if you will. And once we started to gain traction in that you know, very, very important channel for kombucha, that's when we started to scale out into a little bit more mainstream, into some of the grocery mainstream channels, and then into some of the um, larger retailers that are nationwide today. Yeah, and then with that too, obviously, as you have more distribution, you have to have more product produced, and you do it a very small batch way. How have you gone about that in terms of just uh, ramping up your production as you've had to, as you've gotten more distribution, which is a great problem to have in many ways because you have demand for it. But how have you gone about that then, uh, ramping up the production of the product itself? Yeah, so I mean, I will say the way that we make it, and you know, our team, it takes a village to not just make it, <laughs> but also execute and market, and our team. Second yeah. to none. So I will say that it is, um, you know, our core values at Health Aid are grit, optimism, authenticity, and leadership. And I will say those four values really kind of carry through in the how of ramping up, not just on the operation side, but on the sales and marketing side as well, to make sure that we you know, find a solution to deliver on what we need to, to really hustle to make it happen. Um, also, to be real when we couldn't make it happen. And so just being authentic enough to have those conversations and not shy away from them with the retailers. Yeah, totally. And then, and with that too, then, um, even getting into more and more of the market, deciding to go more, more mainstream, like how did you look at that challenge in terms of maintaining that brand image as you've gone more mainstream? I guess, how have you, have you approached that? How have you looked at that challenge or I'm, I don't know how, how you've done it. I'm curious as to that. Yeah. So I think a couple things signal that. So one is pricing still. Though we you know, dropped our price to $399, we are still commanding a premium in the category. And second is how we communicate, not just to our customers at retail, but to our consumers day in and day out. And so we've always had kind of this true north of champion of the healthiest and happiest you. And though it's not directly saying we are premium, it's communicating a message that I think 
consumers are resonating with. And that is ultimately taking shape in them believing in us as a brand that stands for something. And that will uphold our values when it comes down to product quality. And we can charge a little higher for it because we are premium. Yeah. And being that premium product too, one thing I want to go back to is in terms of growing the company over time, obviously you took on investors. How did you approach then getting getting an investor and finding the right investors for your company that align with your values? Yeah. So interestingly enough, back in 2013, and when we started this business, I think we each put in maybe about $600. So we were growing and reinvesting and you know, we we're just kind of going at this pace. We were growing so dramatically in 2013, we didn't exactly know that we needed so much more working capital. And it was just at that time that we were selling at a market in Brentwood called Brentwood Farm Shop. And just so happens that uh, our investors today, our first investors found us there. And so I don't think it's happenstance that they found us there. We strategically wanted to be placed there because of the iconic nature of that market. But then the fact that they were interested in the category, they brought us in. We were um, not only a great product, strong management team as founders, but then also the category was interesting. It really made for a perfect um, partnership in that way. And they brought a lot of value at being beverage specific um, investors and also having that experience to build businesses from the ground up. Yeah, that's such a value add to have that from from an investor, and obviously that helps you grow even even more. And and looking to that too, was there any? I guess looking back on the companies so far, any particular challenges, headaches that stand out that you wish you could have maybe things you would have done differently? Maybe you know, it's always coulda, woulda, shoulda. Um, I don't know if necessarily we would have changed anything because I feel like this is our health aid story. I think two things come to yeah. mind though. One is, you know, in 2016, it was, I think, the, it, it was a high growth time for us within a natural channel. We were just, you know, gaining a lot of traction from a distribution point of view. Our velocities were taking off. And it was also at that time when we were waiting for our current brewery, Torrance, to be finished. And I think it was a perfect storm where demand just really increased. Our operations necessarily weren't ready just yet. So we spent a good amount of time with a lot of demand and not a lot of product. So that was really tough from a frontline perspective where the team was really you know, at the you know, at, at the whim of the retailer and really had to be um, uh, culpable and accountable for those discussions that were really hard. Um, and then second is, you know, Dinah, Justin and I, we are a strong trio but we never had the financial background or know-how between the three of us. And I think uh, we would definitely get a CFO quicker. We love our current CFO, um, but he's definitely changed the game for us in many ways. Yeah. And it's one of those things you, you don't know what you don't know, So, especially starting a company. And this is your first company or have you started something before? Uh, definitely the first real company. I think when I was six years old, I may have started some type of lemonade thing, but... Um, 
<laughs> not not yeah. the same necessarily. Yeah, exactly. And then as your company grows too, obviously there's different different flavors of kombucha as well. It's not just the one. So how have you kind of approached or viewed uh, the different products or services you're going to offer and like deciding which ones to actually offer and bring to market? Yeah. So the last, um, let's say, larger part of the last seven years, we've primarily grown within kombucha. And that has come in new flavors. And those flavors are really targeted to be approachable, really mainstream and familiar to not just the natural subset of customers, but something that is uh, really attractive to all, like a tropical punch or strawberry lemonade or passion fruit. Um, We just launched uh, Bubbly Rose, and that one's taken off like a weed. And so these um, flavors are really resonating, I think, because of the profile that that does lend to kind of that familiarity. And as we think about you know, what else we want to put in the market, we definitely want to understand how we build our platform as health aid, not just kombucha, but health aid as a better for you beverage company. Yeah, and then and moving forward too with with health aid, obviously you said health aid is a better for you beverage company. But what is, what is that vision? Where do you where do you want to take things moving forward with the company? Well, we've always always thought that health aid is a billion dollar brand. So you know what falls under the health aid umbrella, or what we really want to start to create under this you know awesome, or I guess on top of this awesome foundation that we have, will really be part of kind of our future story. And that can come in many forms. I'm not going to share exactly today, but I'm very excited for our <laughs> brand growth in that way. And one thing I always like to talk about too is just kind of going back to uh, p- people who want to start a business and suggestions and advice for them as well. So I'm, I'm curious as to what are some of the first things someone should think about when launching a business? Yeah, I think one thing is money <laughs> for, for sure. Um, <laughs> you, know, you have enough investment to take the business where you want to go. Um, But I think first and foremost is honestly, like I talk to a lot of early stage entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs, and I think really it's taking that first step to action. I think a lot of people are really philosophical or theoretical about the what if, but if you don't take that first step to getting it done or putting a product concept in real life, it's just never going to happen. And so I think taking that first step is often critical. Why do you think people struggle with that so much? Well, I definitely think it's a personality, um, just a personality trait. I think a lot of people want to do one thing, but I do think maybe sometimes they're either built for more structure and there's just a little bit of fear there, or maybe there's just too much data and someone's in this analysis paralysis state and it's hard to move forward with so many inputs. Yeah, and as difficult as that can be, one thing I want to go back to, you mentioned in the very beginning of not loving not loving your job and wanting to do something different. How did you get to that point of realizing that you wanted something different from the career you were in at hmm. the time? So, you know, at the time, I was working in a pharmaceutical company, and I think my you know, what gave me a lot of joy was I think this naive optimism that I was going to change the world somehow. Um and I wasn't day to day. And so that really just <laughs> didn't fulfill me. It just didn't fill my cup, um, if you will. So for me, that is, I think, the biggest impetus. And then I thought, you know, is it, where is this going to take me? Am I just going to kind of 
follow the corporate ladder where it may take me? Rather, should I be more proactive about my future and really think about the legacy and the impact I want to have on the community somehow? Yeah, which is which is obviously so difficult if you can't if you can't see the impact of your work immediately or in the day to day. I imagine it's incredibly difficult, especially in a pharmaceutical company. Um, much different, maybe in in health with health aid where you can literally have products out and you see people consuming them and it's it's a bit different story as well with that and then from from there then what have been some valuable resources as you've gone gone through your your entrepreneurial journey so far these last few years so i would say people and i say not necessarily following the advice of everyone but being able to tap into either external advisors people within the industry who have been there, done that, but being able to distill all of those insights to what's been really beneficial for health aid. Um, So that's one is having those kind of industry CPG insights. Um, Second, from a resource standpoint, you know, it's amazing the community, you know, whether it be through USC or through, you know, the entrepreneur community, just kind of finding the tribe that just wants to help everyone succeed has been really cool. Um, you know, for me, I really had to tap into and lean into kind of my Asian heritage. And there's not a lot of Asian entrepreneurs, but as I've tapped into the ABA, Asian Business Association, met other Asian female founders, I've really started to kind of find my sweet spot there and just uh, a, a group of people that can that really want to help. Yeah, and with those people too, then are you, how are you reaching out? Is it a thing where you have kind of stand up monthly meetings? Is it whenever you have a particular issue you're kind of working with? Like how does that go with the community and reaching out? Yeah, so I, I definitely think it's based a little bit. I, I know myself when I'm, you know, head down in it, it's not, sustainable necessarily. So I definitely know (laughs) that I need to kind of, you know, put my head up, have my feelers out there. So, you know, I started doing that maybe a couple years ago, just to, you know, say like, hey, who's out there? So, you know, I've proactively reached out to various resources, whether it be, you know, the professors at USC, some other friends in the industry, some other people that, you know, I, I wanted to get to know. And just, I think, talking with them has really validated some of how I feel. And if anything, allows me to seek clarity for myself. Yeah. And and one thing I'm wondering, too, with obviously having grown this company to where it is now, which is obviously a very, a very large company now at this point, how do you manage your time day to day at this point? Yeah. So I am. I know myself that I'm an early riser and I'm just not good at night to do functional work. And so for me, I'm up early. I know my morning routine. I like to be productive earlier on. I have, you know, pretty good system to manage the people under me. And, you know, it's really about layering in the priorities, but also really carving out the time, whether it be, you know, by day or looking out by month, the carving out the time for the things that really keep me balanced and whole whether that's, you know, a half a day, once a month, where I just think about things, whether it's, you know, the business, myself, self-awareness, to you know, make myself better ultimately for the business. Um, or sometimes, you know, it, it, this is the life that we chose. And it's, you know, 
the balance is always going to be there, right? Sometimes there's something pressing that's personal, but the work is always there. And the buck stops with you when the team and, and the business needs you. Yeah. And knowing that you're more productive in the morning, not as much so in the evening. One thing too, with entrepreneurs, I'm always kind of fascinated by is like, when do you decide to stop working? Is it uh, like, depending on the day? Is it like, I try to block off this time? How do you even approach that? Yeah. So, I mean, I like to say I stop <laughs> taking calls at four and I can just catch up at the end of the day. It, it's really kind of, did I hit my priorities for the day? Um, and did I eat the biggest frogs? And if I did that, then great. Um, and then I can kind of tap into the other stuff I need to do. But for me, it's more about kind of reprioritizing, whether it be day to day, week to week, and even like looking out, it's important to see what's on the horizon to make sure I'm not losing sight of future and, you know, near term. Yeah. And just diving a little bit deeper into that, then how, how do you, how do you actually kind of plan out those things? Is it looking at 90 days ahead? Is it then every Sunday you're planning your week out? Like I'm always kind of, <laughs> I'm always curious about that because my schedule is always adjusting with all the things I have going on as well. And I'm always wondering kind of how other entrepreneurs manage their priorities uh, every, every, every week, every month, every year. Yeah. How are you doing that? So I definitely try not to do anything on Sunday night, um, just to not accelerate the, you know, being in it in the week. What I try to do more so often, uh, more often now is more so a Friday regroup with myself to know what's up ahead for the week. And then usually by the mid month and end of month, I usually do a taking stock of the key initiatives, at least I know I need the team to get get done by the team. And then I would say once a month, I'm looking at um, what's on the horizon in the next six months. One thing too is recharging. What do you do to kind of recharge and make sure you're performing at your best at work? Yeah. So, you know, this is definitely uh, something that you have to work on over time. (laughs) It has shifted for sure. But I I could point to a couple things that really helped me. One is um, taking a walk with my dog, honestly. So like having that more as a routine morning and night. Um, I I know that sounds really um, mundane and seems should be routine. But if I let that go to the wayside, it's just feel like I'm not a good dog mom and I I need (laughs) the fresh air. Um, Other things that balance me, just the Korean spa and honestly, being present and being around the people I love, I find that when I'm all work, no play, um, it just doesn't vibe well for me. And I need that kind of feedback with the people I love and care about. Yeah, I think that's obviously incredibly important. And everyone has their own their own way of recharging and kind of unwinding from from the craziness that is entrepreneurship, especially where you can be so all in, uh, all consuming all the time type of thing. And, you know, taking time away is important. I actually had an interview this morning with someone else who mentioned, um, yeah, he always schedules a, schedules a few hours of work in and then make sure to have plenty of time to kind of give free time, almost like the Google 20% time mm. where they have 20% time to work on other activities. He actually kind of does that as a solo entrepreneur in his business and gives himself that almost 20% time to really think about kind of long-term future, um, other things going on in the business. And he said, you know, certain products and services have come, have come out of that. So there's something to be said for giving yourself that, that space for sure. And, and one thing I want to know too, is like, what, what do you think would be some of the biggest lessons so far in your entrepreneurial journey that we maybe haven't 
talked about yet today. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, when I did listen to some of those industry vets and just took their advice point blank and didn't really put it through my filter around what's best for health aid, I found that was always misguided a little bit because everyone's business is different, I find. And so that was one of the biggest mistakes is thinking someone else who's been there, done that, knows better than myself or my co-founders in leading the business. Uh, we have a really true sense of where we're taking it. And we needed to know to trust that a little bit. And uh, a second learning is, you know, you can't do everything yourself. And I think a lot of people struggle with the delegation piece, but it's a real issue when you're trying to scale and creating those processes, creating the team who feels empowered to get out there and win every day for the company, for the product, for the brand. That is ultimately what matters because I think scaling beyond yourself as a founder is probably ultimately the, the best way to grow the company. Yeah, and, and to that as well, then how do you approach delegating, especially even earlier in the company, maybe where you just had to start it to now where you obviously are even busier? How do you approach kind of the delegating process with your business? Yeah, so um, I will say if all of us and myself included, we had to really work on ourselves from a managerial evolution and to how we build ourselves as leaders and an executive coach really helped with that. And so early on, it was making sure, you know, using that coach to have kind of these sounding board conversations, you know, with direct reports in the company to make sure that, you know, direction was clear, we're getting the right feedback loop. That was important. And then as time has kind of progressed, going back to hiring all stars who are subject matter experts and 100% culture fit. Once that happens, it really does you know, take a lot off because you trust the work. Um, trust and verify, I would say. But then once you do that, then it really becomes a lot easier. Yeah, and as you've gone along too with this company, how how is your your role itself shifted and changed? Obviously, you said early on, like you're kind of doing everything, all three of you, <laughs> you're you're all kind of hands and everything. And then as you've gotten to this point as a CSO, like how has that kind of evolved in terms of your responsibilities then? Yeah, so it's really you know over the last I would say five years, it's really been focused on growth, whether uh, whether it be through direct sales distribution. It's really growth. Um, and I'm really proud because you know, as of last year, we're the fastest growing brand of kombucha. We're the fastest growing refrigerated beverage. So we've definitely grown fast. And then now, as I think about the future, it's about how we grow, but more so how we grow and build the team, how we grow kind of operationally to tie in these processes that ultimately help us get to that external growth visual. As you've gone to uh, through this whole this whole journey, which has been quite the story and quite the rise, um, I'm just curious as to kind of kind of looking back, is it what you thought entrepreneurship would be, or is it completely different? <laughs> um, you know, I think I glamorized it a little bit. Uh, I don't know <laughs> why, but I did, and. You know, there's definitely been days when, you know, we're working the brewery line a couple years ago, and we were definitely not glamorous that day, let me tell you. Um, 
it's definitely the road is rough it's lonely sometimes but i'm really happy that dinah justin and i have been able to travel it together yeah it seems um obviously it's a lot of a lot of work involved and it's been working out so far which is which is amazing and, and lastly just is there any other any other advice comments you would have for for other entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs yeah i mean i think one thing is know thyself you know it's definitely a noble undertaking to want to be starting your own business but whether it's um, you're really crusading within your company to do something different or really taking that leap of faith to do something different from your own venture, I would suggest know what, what you need and what keeps you whole. And that may help determine what you need, not just as an entrepreneur, but as just a human doing cool things and wanting to keep on doing cool things. Um, and then second is follow your gut. And it's a tagline. We have a health aid, but <laughs> whenever we find that we're in a, whenever we find that we didn't trust our gut, it just didn't feel right. And it ended up being the wrong decision. And we had to scale it back a little bit. Yeah. And I think that's so important to, to do that. And it can be difficult to figure out what you actually want. I think it starts with taking the time to actually have some space to figure out what you want and think about it. And you can't just expect it to happen. You have to actually spend time on it. Um, but it's so valuable and so important. And, Vanessa, where can people go to learn more about everything that you're doing? Yeah, well, check out health-ade.com. We just launched our new campaign today, so you'll get to learn all about kombucha. <laughs> yes. different. Um, so check us out there. Awesome. And Vanessa, thank you so much for the time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Justin. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you. Justgogrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.